What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Blog Talk Radio. Right into this world, all alone. God, take your soul, you're on your own. Welcome to Weigh-In Sports Talk. Today is Wednesday, July 23rd. Before we get started, here are a few reminders. We would love to hear from you, and here are several ways to weigh in. Call us at 646-716-5564, or join us in the chat room by listening online at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Tarvino, or follow us on Twitter at Weigh in Sports. Now here's your host, Brian Tarvin, and co-host Trey Patterson. Let's weigh in. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and thanks for joining a live episode of Way in Sports Talk. We are so, so close to the NFL and college football season. It's not even funny out there, and I know we have a lot of NFL fans. Love to talk some NFL. Sonny Clark's one of our guys that comes on and talks a lot of NFL with us. Tonight we're going to preview the Florida Gators out of the SEC and the Baylor Bears of the Big 12. Uh, Trey Patterson, the co-host, is with us. Trey, hit number one if you're ready to come on. If not, I won't bring you on. Sonny, I think you're in the studio. If you're ready, hit number one as well. Uh, Trey is ready. And, Trey, I hate to start off a show with some bad news for my Auburn Tigers, but here we go, man. I, I mean, after the the rest in the off season, Marshall citation, Carl Lawson's out for the year, the defensive line, Alex Cozon. He's only a sophomore, Trey, but he started all the games on the offensive line for Auburn last year out with a back injury for the season, man. I mean, is it going to get any worse? <laughs> yeah, it could definitely be worse, man. Uh, I think that's uh, that's a, that's absolutely could be, um, yeah. but obviously not good news. Well, I just told somebody, I was like, well, there, there's a 6-6 six and six season. I know I'm a little pessimist right now, but it's just – you don't mess with the big uglies on a football team. I just wanted to bring that out there. Sonny Clark, welcome to the show, buddy. How's everything going? Hey, just hanging out and giving us a listen while I have a few minutes before the wife starts work, so I thought I'd get it in and, and listen to what's going on. Well, we're we're here tonight, and, and it's the football season, and I know you're the nicotine patch, Sonny, with uh, the Indoor Football League, but, but give us your thoughts of, of the camp starting up in the NFL real quick. Well, it's the way it always is at the beginning of the year. You just never know what's going to happen. Why? Because there's always going to be one of those teams that are going to have that major injury that are happen that that will happen in training camp. It, it, it's a given. There will be one big thing go down, and it will affect how it's going to happen during the regular season. Now they're all in the camp right now. They're just getting going. 
Um, and more on the fact that, uh, you know, we don't even know who's going to be on a lot of rosters. So right now we're doing a lot of looking right now at what's going on. Uh, the preseason has everybody still saying Seattle, they're the number one ranking if you go by certain places. I think some teams have moved up because of some personnel that they grabbed up. Um, so it'll be an interesting season to see how it goes here in 2014-2015 season. Well, Trey, I mean, you're a big NFL fan, too. When does the NFL start becoming a reality? It gets close. When does it start for you? I think preseason football games is when it really starts for me. Um, obviously, I think I start keeping track of it um, pretty much with any post that comes across. Um, but obviously, when you have OTAs going on, you have spring, uh, sort of spring football, if you will, uh, for the NFL, you have something to keep watch of. You have a lot of position battles that are going on. Uh, some key teams. I'm wondering for you know, for instance, um, Michael Vick is he going to take over, take Juno Smith? These are kind of storylines that I immediately start watching right now. Well, a storyline for you guys, and I'm glad I have both of you with with me. And I'll start with you, Sonny, uh, a, a man I respect a lot, Tony Dungy. In the media, came out, I believe it was yesterday, and said that if he was a coach, GM, he would not draft. Michael Sam, he didn't want the distractions. A lot of people are bashing uh, this great coach right now. I mean, Tony Dungy's a great man. He's a Christian man. I don't think he, he said it out of hate. Give me your thoughts on, on uh, his comments, Sonny. Well, I agree with you. I don't think he said it out of hate, but he has to remember who he is. And that's the only thing. I mean, you can have the belief system all you want, but you're on Sunday night NBC football. Okay, every week you are listened to. Um, and as you are being listened to, once you put your religion out there and market, which he has done, okay, um, when, when he makes a statement like that, people are not going to tend to believe him. And that's what ended up happening, and that's why he's answering to it. That's why he's backpedaling a lot. Reason being is people don't believe him. Okay, people don't believe him because of his, his, you know, kind of the right-wing religious person that he is, because he's been known to throw the arrows at, at gay people. So no one's believing him, and that's why he's doing the serious back-off and, and more in the fact. Um, here's, here's the thing. I don't necessarily believe him that he would, would go ahead and draft him. I don't necessarily believe that um, he wants that kind of player on his team. Now, will he try to put himself and make himself look in a better light by saying certain things? Yes, but the only problem is he's came out and firmly stand on his position about gay people, and that's the reason why he's he's getting a lot of backfire right now. Well, Trey, is, is Tony Dungy correct? I mean, he said it would be a distraction, and honestly, ever since he's been drafted, it, it has been a distraction. Michael Sam comes out in the media and says, well, he's glad Dungy's not his coach, but he said it jokingly. But I think Tony Dungy meant, Trey, that, you know, to, in order to, to be worth a distraction, maybe at least he's got to be a great player. He doesn't think Michael Sam's a great player. Are you buying that? You know, I'm not, I'm not really buying what Tony Jennings is backtracking to. I'm also not buying the distraction, given the fact that Jeff Fisher, who is a football coach, yep. has said it hasn't been a distraction. And, you know, Jeff Fisher is the one who's dealing with it right now and said, hey, there's been a few more cameras, but that's really no different than any kind of high-vis player. I mean, Johnny Manziel is drawing far more attention and far more distraction than Michael Sam ever will. Um, and I think the Cleveland Browns are pretty much okay with that. So I think 
whether he meant it as a cost benefit analysis that you would do for any player who may draw extra scrutiny, um, you know, I'll let people decide that on their own. But to say that Tony Dungy, if he's trying to claim that he doesn't draft players who are either risky and or controversial, if you look through his draft stock, that's completely inaccurate. Well, Sonny, this is a guy that came out and supported Michael Vick and the dog fighting, and, and that's a big distraction. But, you know, one thing we analyze, we, we, we do preseason predictions, guys. We look at how good a team's going to be. One thing, Sonny, you can't predict is the state of that locker room. So how do you how do you think Michael Sam being in that locker room is going to affect the chemistry? Well, it just all depends on how mature they are. Let, let's be honest. Um, football players haven't been known to be too mature about anything. Um, and, and, and I'll bash them all day long. They're, they're the most uneducated, dumb people in the face of this earth um, that are playing in sports. I'm sorry, they are. And they have their, they have their stereotypes of what they want in the locker room. Um, the, the simple fact of the matter is, is that Jeff Fisher is going to have to grab these players and mature the players that he has on his team, which in turn makes more work for them in the preseason, in training camp, because they have to pretty much have got to educate these dumb guys that you got to stay away from this. Remember what happened when all the other stuff was going on in Miami. We don't want to be the Miami Dolphins of 2014. So they probably have extra classes that they have to take, sensitivity classes and things. So there's just more work. I think this is. I, I think it's a problem, but I also think if the players were smart enough and mature enough to be able to handle it, there wouldn't be a problem. But it's going to be a problem almost in every single locker room in the NFL. That's just my personal opinion. And, and Trey, one thing I'm not sold on yet, and I, I could be wrong, and, and Michael Sam making the Rams roster. I mean, is he going to make the squad? It, I heard something about his jersey was one of the highest-selling jerseys out there. So are you going to let people buy his jersey and then cut it? Well, I mean, here's the thing. As we talked about it in the draft, I mean, seventh-round draft picks actually have a pretty good track record of making teams. I mean, almost better than, like, the sixth round, for instance. I mean, so, you know, he's got a decent shot. Um, now, he's got to do the work just like anybody else has. And Jeff Fisher um, is a very fair coach no matter who they are. I mean, he's given guys with felt, you know, criminal arrest, second chances, and, and made them earn it. And if they didn't, he cut them. Uh, I think he'll do the same for Michael Sam as he, do, he would do with any player. And so one of the things I think that um, that he'll do is he'll evaluate him based on the field, and that's all. And that's that's really all you can ask for for any player. Well, I just I just think Tony Dungy is, is a very respected man out in, in the NFL, in the world. I'll just say that everybody respects him. He's a quiet leader and everything. For him to come out and say that, I mean, why stir it up now? Why say what you would do, what you wouldn't do right now? It's, it, it does let you down a little bit here and that, but so we'll see. And, and, Sonny, I have you on the line. We need to talk about the Dallas Cowboys a moment. Jerry Jones comes out and says that Jason Garrett's not under the gun. I mean, has he ever come out and said anything about Garrett being on the hot seat? 
Well, he hasn't, and he's not. Jerry Jones isn't going to. He did the same thing with Wade Phillips before he had to get rid of him. I'm telling you right now, with the way the defense looks, especially the defensive line here in Dallas, it is a mess. It's god awful, and it it could end up being the worst defense on the uh, in the NFL if they don't watch it. Yeah, you know, really. The, um, uh, oh yeah, Rob Ryan was the problem. That's right. Um, but that that being said, you know. It, when Jerry Jones talks, people listen. But he does, and usually what he says usually happens, except when it comes to coaching. I'm going to tell you if this team has this, he starts off one and four, um, they will, he will still stand that he isn't going to go anywhere, but he's on the hot seat, and he could, depending upon the season, their schedule is tough, by the way. I looked at their schedule, I was like, um, th- this team could have a real problem if they don't do it defensively. And we could be talking about Jason Garrett losing his job by midseason because Jerry Jones will want to bring someone in for the last half of the season to try to get them in line with what he wants to do during the season so they'll be ready for the 2015-2016 season. If they start off rough, uh, Jason Garrett, if he's not gone, he should be gone without question. Trey, you and I fell trapped into the Dallas Cowboys last season. We both projected them to to win their division. They almost did, but when is enough enough, Trey? I mean, you keep doing the same thing over and over again, and you, you expect different results, but you get the same ones, which is called insanity, by the way. I mean, when's enough enough for this team? Well, I think Jason Garrett is in the hot seat. I think uh, you're talking about a coach who has really produced no different results than, than you know, a lot of coaches could in his position with some decent talent. I mean, yeah, they have defensive problems, but uh, they, they they need to straighten it out this year. I think he's gone. Yeah, I mean, but is it during the middle of the season? Like Sonny says, what if he goes one and four? Are they going to just cut the cord right then and, and try to, to fire the team up and make a push? This Dallas team, like Sonny, if you don't have a defensive line in the NFL, you're in trouble and I just think Dallas is going to get gouged this year, guys. I think, Sonny, I think they're going to give up a ton of points. And how yeah, healthy is Romo going to be is the question. How healthy will he really be? And that's going to be the huge question when you go into this season. It's because really, in reality, when you look at the 2015 season, it's all about Tony Romo. Because in reality, when you look at the defense, there's no DeMarcus Ware. There's nobody that makes a stand out there that has the big name that says, I'm the defense. There's no one there. Um, And that's going to be a problem. And Tony Romo, um, depending upon the situation, depending on how pressured he's going to get, um, he's he's capable of the bad mistake at the bad time. Now, all mistakes are bad, but I'm talking toward the end of the game when he usually gives a game away. Um, and that's gonna, and that could end up being the problem. So when you look at Dallas and where they go and what they you ask how much is enough, it's not going to matter to Jerry Jones. And towards midseason is when they'll fire him, but Here's the thing, the same thing over and over, Jerry Jones is okay. Why? Because he's got the the biggest selling franchise of all merchandise, all tickets, everything on in combined, and that's not going to go away. Why? Because people in Dallas want to see the Dallas Cowboys, and people all over the world want to see the Dallas Cowboys and wear their jerseys. So um, until it really, really, really affects the pocketbook, um, nothing's going to change in Dallas. So you might as well just count on another five years of this. And trade looking at the the NL or the the East, the NFC East, and we're not doing a preview tonight, but but I'm very interested and intrigued by the Philadelphia Eagles. 
how's Chip Kelly going to do in that second year? Looking at how they progressed from week one all the way through the end of the season, now give another full entire year for the the workout plan, for to learn that offense, to install more plays. Trey, do you see anybody in that East beating the Eagles, really? Well, I think I mean, they could be the favorites. Um, I actually think we're going to see the Redskins take a, a step forward um, this year. Dallas is going to be a mystery. The Giants are kind of a mystery as well just because of their defensive. Um, they're always good. I mean, Coughlin did a great job last year with a really terrible team. So, I mean, this is a division that, that really could have someone like Washington win it. I mean, you just don't know. I mean, Chip Kelly in his second year, did defenses figure it out? The NFL, you know, isn't really gimmicky because people always seem to figure it out. We'll have to see, you know, if Chip Kelly can keep being innovative uh, on offense and if he can keep shading McCoy, you know, sort of slashing through defenses, and they're going to be really, really good. Uh, But, oh, by the way, I mean, Nick Foles hasn't done it that long either. So do we figure out, um, the defenses figure out how to scheme against him? and make him have a lot more mistakes. I mean, this is his sophomore year, and we know what happens in sophomore years for a lot of guys. Well, Sonny, if I had to pick between Foles or RG3, for some reason I feel so much more confident with Foles than the Eagles right now in that second year. I think it's going to be hard to stop this guy. Where RG3, I still don't see him lasting the season. And that's the problem with RG3. Now, he'll be smarter about not taking the hits and everything, but now he's already been on the shelf. He's been on there a couple of times. It's going to be a problem for him. And I agree with the sophomore. You know, a lot of defenses get an opportunity to learn how they are. Off-season coaches go into mega film watching, and especially after the the schedules are announced. Uh, They go in deep, okay? So they figure out what the tendencies are of those quarterbacks. Now, uh, here's the thing. The NFC uh, East is just horrid. Like you said, Dallas is – you just don't know what you expect. Eli Manning is not Eli Manning anymore, and he wasn't all that great when he was good. Um, So he's going downhill. And you're right. We're talking about the Eagles and the Washington Redskins. And right now, you look at Shady McCoy. If Shady McCoy stays healthy, the Eagles are going to be a hard team to – okay, let me rephrase that. I don't want to say a hard team to beat because guess what? An eight – an eight or a seven and nine record could win this division. That's how bad it is. Um, so th- when you are one of those four teams, you want to be eight and eight. You you got to be there. So the NFC East is going to be all figured out, done and said uh, in week fifteen, sixteen, and seventeen. And that's going to be we'll know right then because until it gets there. Games are going to be lost that they shouldn't be lost. Injuries will happen, and that and the whole East will be losing the teams that they really shouldn't be and when they should be dominating because that's the way it's been for the last three seasons as far as the NFC East is concerned. Well, we're gonna we're gonna start our preview of football in the next week or so, next week or two. But you know, looking at the AFC trade, there's there's really not much drama to me when I look at the AFC. I think it cut and dry, really. We have the the Indianapolis Colts, Texans in their division, the Patriots. I mean, do you think anybody's going to beat them? The AFC West could be a little decent, depending on who it is. But looking at the Patriots trade, could Tom Brady actually have enough on that team? The defense has improved. Um, do they have enough to maybe make a Super Bowl push? 
Yeah, I mean, the question is, the East and the Patriots, how much do they have left? I mean, Tom Brady seems to have a fountain of youth at his you know, age, but I tend to think at some point where he's going to have a really bad drop-off, and this could be, you never know, this could be the year. Uh, the AFC East claims to have a lot of improving teams. We'll see. Um, you know, I'm not sure I'm buying into that. Uh, the Jets improved a lot of positions, um, but the quarterback is still the big one that we all don't know. Uh, so, I mean, you know, the AFC, I think the West is going to be really good. I mean, you have the Chiefs and the Chargers who made the playoffs last year, so you had three teams, um, you know, who at least are coming off playoff berths. So, um, we'll have to see. I mean, you know, I'm really curious to see if the Texans, how much they bounce back. I mean, a playoff team to two losses last year. You know, do they, are they the Colts this year and jump all the way back, or are they just a team that doesn't improve? Uh, we'll have to see. Hey, Sonny, when does Hard Knocks start? Oh, God, I don't know. I don't normally watch it um, until I go into um, I go into uh, an episode binge. Uh, <laughs> um, I, so I don't watch it, you know, and I don't even listen to news about it until it gets to it. So I usually wait until it's like one week before it's going to be done for the season. Then I'll episode binge it in three days and, and have a figure. I, so I'm not sure when it's going to start. Hell, who's who's doing it? Is it going to be the Jets again? The Falcons. The Falcons. Falcons, got it. Okay, all right. But, what a boring hey, team, really, Sonny. Really what a quick, boring team. Just really quick, before I got to go, I got to go here in five minutes. The AFC West is going to have three teams in the in the playoffs. I mean, when you look at the, you know, you're not expecting too much in the in the AFC uh, North. You're not expecting too much in the AFC South. And you're not expecting too much in the AFC East. You've got three teams that are going to battle it out. I mean, the Chiefs are a good football team now. Um, the uh, Chargers, they'll always be on the cusp. So they'll be battling it out. And then, of course, you've you got Denver, the, the pride of that division. So, But, um, yeah, uh, the Atlanta Falcons, yeah, very boring. And, and, and watch out, okay? They have hard knocks going in there. And guess what? That offensive coordinator, Dirk Cotter, I mean, now everybody's <laughs> going to figure it out. So even the people at home will figure out his easy place. The Atlanta Falcons are in a lot of trouble. And I, I called it two years ago. They had a great season his first year. And then what happens the next year? He, because Mr. Predictable and they can't win football games when they should be doing it. It's going to get it's going to stay the same or get worse for Atlanta, and that is bad for business, especially with them opening up that new stadium over there. They need to win. Um, not that they will have a problem selling it out, but just going into a stadium with a winning season is what you want. But I'll tell you that Mike Smith he put his trust in Dirk Cotter for for his career there in Atlanta, and if they don't win and make the playoffs or at least make it to the second round, uh, I think Mike Smith could be gone, and then I will put it on Dirk Cotter like I did when they hired him. Hey, Trey, has Sonny been too hard on the Falcons and Cotter? Yeah, and uh, Sonny, i gotta, I got to say, I think two years ago you predict they wouldn't do so hot, and they did. Um, I'll give you credit last year for sure, but yep. I, they had a lot of injuries last year, including their you – know, their, their main part of their offense in Julio Jones and Roddy White. So, um, you know, I'm not so sure they take a step back this year. I think they're going to take a step forward. 
I'll keep my fingers crossed for you, Atlanta <laughs> fans, because I was an Atlanta Falcon fan before Dirk Cotter got there. I seen what he did to Boise State. I seen what he did at Arizona State, and I sure in the hell seen what he did in Jacksonville. Um, so, needless to say, I wasn't too in, you know, too optimistic about the hiring there in Atlanta. Hey, I'm going to be listening. I'm going to switch to the computer and listen because my wife's about ready to start work and stuff, and I'll keep listening. I'll probably type in some comments there in the chat room. Okay, my friend? All right. That's Sonny Clark, the hardest working man in sports radio. Thanks for joining us, Sonny. I can't do it uh, like the scorekeeper can, but, but you know, not many people can. And we have a caller from the 321 area code. You're on way in sports. Who's this? It's Joe. Joey. Joey, about 10 minutes too early, my friend. Can, can we okay. grab you in 10? I'll grab you right back. Um, sorry about that. Well, Joey's going to be on with us in probably around 10 minutes, guys. We're not ready just to get to that just yet. I have an agenda, and I have to stay with it, Trey. <laughs> All right, man. Let's go ahead. All right. Real quick, we're going to bring Joey on, and we're going to discuss the Florida Gators. And uh, Joey is an was an affiliate of Fox Sports, so we're excited to have Joey. Want to get it on just right. So the Florida Gators, Trey, coming out of the SEC conference, a terrible season last year. We're going to get Joey's opinions on that in just a couple of minutes here. But in college football, Trey, I don't know what Bob Stoops is out still doing, but He's talking about the the SEC and Nick Saban still. What is it about Bob Stoops, Trey, that, that he won't shut his mouth for a few months and just let his team practice and get ready for the season? Why is he still living in the past? Well, I mean, he, one, he got asked the question. He had questions about it, and he was responding. But, hey, you know, the thing about it is um, he had a, the SEC could have shut him up last year, and they didn't. Um, you know, so, I mean, he's one of those guys just like – He's Spurrier, who says what he wants to, and, you know, they both have pretty good success. You know, it makes for, it makes for good, good for talk radio, for sure. Well, the, the, the thing you look at Bob Stoops, and, and he's he's taken that game. Like, he, he's trashed the SEC for a long time. He's 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 been insecure about it. He, he He's scared of it, really. But, you know, a perfect storm happened. His team loses by 40 to Baylor. They lose by about 30 to Texas. They come in the Sugar Bowl. They they outduel Alabama, but because of that one game, Trey, he acts like he's a genius and he's been right all along. I mean, that's my problem with Bob Stoops. When has Bob Stoops done anything? And I mean, in the last fifteen years, what has he done really? Uh, he's been to I think four national championship games. I mean, he, he's played big games and he's put Oklahoma back on the map. I mean, he's got a right to you know to say he's a great coach. He is. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think he's won all four of the BCS games, which I don't think anybody else has done. So he's got some of the things down there. I mean, I don't think he's Nick Saban. I mean, Nick Saban's won four titles. Um, so, but, hey, he beat him on the field last year, and, you know, that, that's you know that's where we are right now. Well, I guess you can't really, you know, if you want to shut somebody up, the way you do it is, is you beat him. Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide had a perfect opportunity in the Sugar Bowl. To, to take care of business, and they didn't, Trey. So I guess what you say is, you know, beat them next time. But uh, as we previewed Oklahoma a week ago, Oklahoma is going to be a team that, looking at that schedule, it looks easy. It, I mean, no championship game to deal with. If they lose one game, 
Trey, they could be in trouble and jeopardy of even making that playoff because, as you pointed out, the weakness of the mm-hmm. Big 12. And, and let's just go in. We're a couple minutes early, but we're going to bring in – or Joey's going to call back in just a moment. Uh, the Florida Gators out of the SEC conference. This is a, a put-up or shut-up. Will Muschamp, Trey, on the hot seat. I'm telling you, Will Muschamp is on that hot seat. How long do you give Will Muschamp? Will he be fired? during the middle of the season if he doesn't perform or are they going to wait till the end? Well, I mean, it depends on how bad it is if it gets in the season. I mean, I think by October there will be something that we'll know on Muschamp, whether he's on the hot seat really badly or whether he's gone. I mean, if they start off pretty pretty poorly, um, you know, it's going to be problems for Muschamp because, I mean, they do play, um, you know, Bama, Tennessee, LSU, and Missouri uh, in a, in a five-week you know, span and they, you know, then November they start with Georgia. So, I mean, they have a shot to lose some of these games if they're back where they were last year. Um, but I think they're going to be improved, and I think we're going to see really a different, a different Jeff, Jeff Driscoll. I really do. And then, is he going to be in? You know, all, you know, all SEC players? Probably not. But I mean, we're going to see a much improved Jeff Driscoll, and I think we're going to see some steps forward. I mean, Florida's got so much talent; it's hard for them not to win games. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, there's a lot of questions I have about this team, and, and one is toughness. I want to see how they respond. You know, you lose the Georgia Southern in in the swamp. You lose the Vanderbilt. I mean, you get beat pretty good by Vanderbilt. That score was 34-17. to 17. You lose, I mean, 26-20 to Georgia Southern. I mean, Missouri blew you out. You beat Arkansas, you beat Kentucky, you, you beat Tennessee, but, I mean, you lose to Miami in an ugly game. But looking at that season, the worst season I remember a Florida Gator team having in a long time. So the question is toughness. How is the locker room, Trey? That's what we're going to get Joey on in a minute to tell us, how that locker room is going to react, how they how they ended last season. I know there was some some news of fighting internally in the locker room. The, the players were split. How does Muschamp? pull this team together. Like you said, they have a lot of talent. And so let's bring on Joey. Um, Joey Vizzy, he works with an affiliate of Fox Sports. How are you, sir? Hey, how you doing, Brian? Oh, good. Thanks for joining us, and uh, and, and thanks for holding just for a couple minutes. And, uh, well, you're a big Gator fan. You do a lot of reporting, and, and Trey and I have a lot of questions uh, for you tonight sure. about the Florida Gators. So thanks for joining us again. Give us a little background about you so everybody can hear. Sure. Um, I attended the University of Florida. I graduated in 2009 with a degree in telecommunications. Um, I have uh, worked for uh, WRUF 850 AM. Um, I actually worked with Mick Hubert, who's the voice of the Gators, for a little while. I uh, wrote for the Independent Florida Alligator, which is the school newspaper for the University of Florida. Um, I also currently work for in all kinds of weather.com. We are a Florida Gators blog, and we are owned by Fox Sports and Yard Barker. We are actually you know, contracted by them. Um, so that's that's my background, and uh, I'm also a recruiting an- analyst for our our uh, for our site. Well, Joey, thanks for joining us again. And and Trey mentioned you know the Florida Gators, the talent that they have. I mean, that they should win a lot of games just based on the talent. Tell me what, how the end of the season last year, what the locker room was like compared to what you're seeing around the team now. 
Well, last year, uh, Brian, uh, from what I was told, the locker room was real dull. Um, everybody uh, had a woe is me face on. Um, with all the injuries, everybody lost confidence. Um, uh, players started to hang their heads after, you know, every time somebody would score on Florida's defense, the players would hang their heads because they knew the offense was going to struggle to keep up. Um, the defense carried the offense for about 50% of the season, and then they ran out of gas, which I can't blame them for. Um, also, a lot of the leaders of the team are the ones that ended up getting hurt last year, and they were out of the locker room, and Dominic Easley was training for the NFL after he got hurt. He was out. He knew he was gone. Um, he was a very big leader on the defense. He was the voice of the defense. Um, I, I, and Jeff Driscoll was the voice of the offense. He was obviously a, uh, a junior, and uh, he had started the previous year, so uh, he was the leader of the offense. But the defense, uh, losing Dominic Easley was the biggest blow to, that Florida could have had last year. Uh, Vernon Hargreaves, who is an um, All-American uh, defensive back, um, uh, preseason All-SEC, he, uh, he pretty much had to take the defense and uh, rein him in himself. And when you have a true freshman leading your defense, it doesn't really end up very well. So that's about how the locker room ended up being. Um, and, and, and I'm not going to lie, the team quit at times, and they really did, and players will, will even admit it that they did. So. And I think, I think a lot of people look at uh, the year before, they look at a record, and, and they see a team like Auburn last year, how they turned it around. Florida has the same kind of talent on the team to be able to do that. And, and you know, going to Duke and getting offensive coordinator Kurt Roper, tell us a little bit about Kurt Roper, and do you think he's going to be successful his first season? Well, Kurt Roper was actually, um, he was high on Muschamp's list. Um, Muschamp knew uh, Kurt Roper when Kurt was at Ole Miss and uh, Muschamp was at LSU. Uh, he knew Roper from, obviously, Roper was uh, quarterback's coach, and he, um, at Ole Miss, and he coached Eli Manning. And uh, so Muschamp put in a call to uh, David Cutcliffe at Duke um, after the season ended, the regular season, and inquired about uh, Roper. And uh, Muschamp, a lot of people had, you know, a lot of uh, assertions and a lot of assumptions about who was going to be Florida's next offensive coordinator, but Muschamp really wanted Kurt Roper. He wanted a spread offense to come to Florida. He wanted somebody that – had experience developing quarterbacks because he believed in Driscoll, and I believe in Driscoll. I think Driscoll was dealt the short straw. Uh, he was a spread quarterback in, in high school. Urban Meyer recruited him. Urban Meyer quit. Uh, Charlie Weiss came in with a pro offense and convinced Driscoll to stay at Florida. Driscoll was actually highly considering uh, not coming to Florida. He had uh, offers from, like, 20-something other schools. Uh, he was actually the number one rated quarterback in the nation out of high school. And uh, Charlie Weiss convinced him to stay, so he stayed. And he has gone through uh, two offensive coordinators and three different quarterback coaches since he's been at Florida. And, and that's not including Roper. That's the, he's the third offensive coordinator that Driscoll will have. So uh, he wanted, Muschamp wanted somebody that Driscoll was going to be able to learn from, and, and, and Roper is that guy. Roper is known for quarterbacks. That's what he can do. He's known for his innovation in offense. He's known for fast tempo. He's known for utilizing the talent that's around him. So that was important for Muschamp because Muschamp knows. He, I mean, he can say that he blocked out all the boos and blocked out all of the noise, but, you know, he punched a chalkboard at the end of the Georgia game, after the Georgia game, and broke it. 
he he cursed at a fan walking off the field at the Georgia game. Excuse me, that chalkboard was at the South Carolina game. At uh, the end, uh, end of the Georgia game, he got into a verbal spat with a fan, and you rarely ever see coaches do that. So it did get to him. He knew the offense was terrible. He knew it. And that was his way of, uh, of showing the fans that he's really committed to changing the offense, and I believe that. And if this doesn't work out, then nothing's going to work out. Roper is, 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 was a great hire. I think he's got a very promising future as a head coach. He's young. I think he's barely 40 years old uh, in his 40s. Um, he's young. He's got a promising future ahead of him. He learned from David Cutcliffe, who, who taught Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning's the first ballot Hall of Famer and a two-time NFL MVP. So, I mean, the names, the names speak for themselves. Hey, Joe, this is Trey. Tell, tell me a little bit about um, Driscoll's response to working with Roper over the spring and since the hire. Uh, you know, and has Driscoll been progressing, coming back to a, a more open offense? Uh, how's that going? Absolutely. Um, uh, Driscoll's actually done jumped leaps and bounds since he be- came off his injury. Um, he actually progressed uh, really early from his healing. Um, he was expected to actually miss a lot of the spring, but he progressed in his healing early. He pretty much played 100 percent of the spring practices in the season so he was able to get in uh the new offense and from all i've heard and all i've seen so far is driscoll's been flourishing like crazy his biggest asset is is his legs he has an ability to move around in the pocket he can get outside he can make people miss he's 6'4 245 he's huge and he, driscoll has a pretty good arm driscoll's physical abilities are not what is limited in the last two and a half years his his mental uh, breakdowns and his uh, jitters have what has what kept him from developing into a great quarterback. His physical abilities are off the charts. I mean, he's everything you want in a quarterback: size and speed and and arm talent. He just made some really bad decisions. Plays would break down, and his first two reads would be gone, and he would throw it to another jersey. And that that's what happened uh, this past earlier in the season and the year before. Uh, I mean, let's be honest here. Uh, Florida went 11 and one in 2012, and if it wasn't for Driscoll, uh, they would have been 12 and 0, and in the SEC championship, playing for a national championship. So, uh, uh, six interceptions later, you know. Um, but he's 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 been doing great. Uh, Demarcus Robinson, wide receiver, four star, uh, was expected to do big things as a freshman. He kind of took a mental tank and uh, kind of screwed off a little bit, but now he's taking life seriously again, and, and I think he's going to be a big asset for Jeff Driscoll. So let's, let's talk about the offense as well, Jerry, as a follow-on. There have been some questions about the skill positions at Florida, whether they're in place for Roper-style offense. Uh, what do you, are, 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 is Florida ready to compete for an SEC championship this year with the pieces that Roper needs for his offense, or do you think they're still a year out? Because recruiting is going very well for Florida right now in the skill position. Um, I think offensively, um, the pieces are better than they have been in the last couple of years um, because uh, Roper did recruit some, some guys actually uh, or later in the recruiting season this year that are going to help Florida immensely. I, I think Brandon Powell, the running back out of uh, South Florida, is going to help out immensely. And Rober, uh recruited him uh, right before uh, the season recruiting season ended, and I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be dynamic. He's a uh, he's a definitely a Chris Rainey, Jeff Demp esque type player, scat back, 
and I think he's perfect for uh, Rover's offense. But as far as the offensive line, the offensive line uh, has only improved over the last couple years. Um, the injuries on the offensive line last year were just terrible. Um, guys, every person besides Jonathan Harrison, the center, was playing out of position last year on the offensive line. If Florida had a healthy offensive line last year, I'm going to be honest, they would have played in the bowl game. They would have won six games last year, and they would have been in a bowl game. The offensive line is completely healthy right now. you got an offensive lineman named Trenton Brown who you need to look out for. The guy is huge. He's 6'8". Um, he's a monster. Um, you got a guy, uh, Chaz Green, who's coming back, um, who was injured last year. He was another guy that was uh, uh, outlander watch trophy list preseason, and he's coming back this year fully healthy. Um, the offensive line, hiring Mike Summers was a great hire. Um, he's he's terrific offensive line coach. Um, I think the offense is is, is, is a, still a toss-up, obviously, because nobody knows. The defense is going to be the defense. The defense is good enough to win the national championship. The Florida's defense and Muschamp's defense is always healthy, is going to be good enough to win a national championship. He puts four or five stars on the field, and like Muschamp said in SEC Media Days, He'll take talent any day, any day. He, he talent five, four, and five stars. You got Vernon Hargreaves back there. Uh, you got uh, guys like Duke Dawson, who's going to contribute early. He was an early enrollee as a freshman. Um, you got guys in the backfield like Jalen Tabor, who's coming in. He's a he was a five star. He was a late grab by Muschamp, a late flip. Um, terrific cornerback, six two, real long. Uh, the only issue I have with the defense right now is the safety position. It's kind of unknown. Um, you lost Cody Riggs. Um, you lost uh, some of your your safeties that you had, but you got Marcus May coming back, who's going to start this year. He started a couple games last year, played in a couple of games. He was a little inconsistent. He knows what he needs to do. Um, you're going to have him back there, and you got Keanu Neal. I want to let y'all know about Keanu Neal. This kid is going to be a monster in the defensive backfield for Florida. He, 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 he was redshirted. Um, this kid is, is huge. He's, he, he gained about 30 pounds since he's been at Florida. All muscle. He's a man-child. And uh, the linebacker position is set. Uh, linebackers, you got returning starters like Antonio Morrison. Um, you got Gerard Davis, who's coming back, who had a big push at the end of the season last year. A defensive line might be the best defensive line in college football. Top two, top three, guaranteed, might be the best. You got Dante Fowler. You got uh, Darius Cummings. Uh, you got Jonathan Bullard. Dante Fowler is going to be a top ten pick in the NFL draft next year. Uh, I mean, the defensive line is just fantastic. Um, so as far as that goes, the, the defense is always going to be ready to, to win an SEC championship. But the offense, like you said, it's still a toss-up. We just don't know. It's, it's a variable. Luckily, Florida, the first two games of the season, we got Idaho and Eastern Michigan. Those are the two, two of the top, uh, worst five defenses in qualifying schools in FBS. And uh, so I think it's a good test for the offense to get a little confidence going and, and maybe build a couple 35, 40-point games the first two games going into the Kentucky game. And, Joey, um, looking at that schedule, it's not easy by no means, but how much weight – are you putting on the Alabama game, that trip to Tuscaloosa on September 28th or September 20th? You know, 
I'm putting a lot of weight on it because guess what? That game, we are going to have the chips stacked against us. Florida is going to be a big underdog in that game. It doesn't matter if they're 3-0 to start the season. It doesn't matter how good they look in their first three games. Florida will be at least a 7-10 to 10 point underdog going into Brian Denny Stadium. And that is the kind of game, even if Florida lost that game, if they took Alabama to the wire and lost by a field goal, uh, maybe an overtime, uh, something like that, uh, that is a tone setter. That is a statement to the SEC that the Florida is back. That is a statement to the country that, that, that Florida is back and you don't want to play the Florida Gators. So a win necessarily isn't exactly key. I want a close game. I want to look good against the Nick Saban defense. Uh, and, and, and that, that's key. I think the Alabama game is, is, is very crucial early in the season because that's a tone setter. That's gonna, that's gonna prove to everybody that Muschamp is for real. Is, is he for real? Is he gonna, is he gonna be able to go into Bryant Denny Stadium where Auburn won last year, where Texas A&M won the year before? Is he gonna punch Alabama in the mouth with a new quarterback? with some young defense, with some young weapons on offense, and, and have a guy like Vernon Hargreaves go in and shut Amari Cooper down and uh, have a defensive line shut down a T.J. Yeldon and, and, a, and, and, and the defensive back and the running backs that, that Alabama has. So I think that's a very important game. Well, Joey, I, I, I do too. I think it's going to be a, a, a measuring stick. But looking after that game, you have a favorable schedule considering your home games, LSU, Missouri, neutral side Georgia, South Carolina's at home. So it could be possible, even with a loss to Bama, that Florida could run that schedule up until that last game going to Tallahassee. Absolutely. I think it's very – I think a lot of people are, are, are you know, uh, discrediting Florida this year because of the schedule. And I, I think you're – you got to look at the home. Listen, Florida was on the road last week six out of eight weeks in a row. Out of eight weeks straight, which is two months, they were on the road for six weeks out of that. That is that is nasty. That alone is nasty. That will take a toll on you physically and mentally alone and drain you. Um, this year, Florida has like a four-week stretch where they're at home, like, and that's including the Georgia game, which is only an hour and a half away in Jacksonville. So, um that uh, the home schedule this year is key. I think that Alabama game is the tone setter. LSU, getting LSU at home with a with a young quarterback, with young offense, um, very young defense. Uh, I think that is a very possible. I think Florida can win that game, um, not not easily, but I think that Florida can win that game at home. I think Florida can definitely beat Missouri. Missouri is lost the uh, probably four of their best players this year. Uh, Let's see, Matty Mock is, is caught the SEC by surprise. You know, he gave Florida a hell of a game, and he gave other teams a hell of a game. But he, uh, James Franklin was a great quarterback. He's gone. Doriel Green Beckham is gone. He transferred to Oklahoma. He, he's no longer at Missouri. That was their best offensive weapon. Um, they lost Coney Ely to the, uh, deep, uh, to the NFL draft. He was their best defensive player. Um, so Missouri is definitely ripe for the picking. They were another team that caught the SEC by surprise. Uh, South Carolina at home without Connor Shaw. Without Connor Shaw, Florida beat South Carolina in Columbia last year. Let's just be honest. Without Connor Shaw, Florida beats Florida dominated that game for three quarters with second stringers in in in, in uh, fresh true freshmen and in a third string quarterback last year. Connor Shaw won that game for South Carolina. So I I definitely think that South Carolina coming in and shut Mike Davis down with Dylan Thompson, who's shaky, who's been shaky for the last three years. Uh, I think Florida wins that game. I think the key is Georgia. 
Muschamp's game of the year is Georgia. He cannot go 0-4 against Georgia. If he goes 0-4 against Georgia, even if he wins eight games, I think that Georgia game might might be his demise. I think that could be. Uh, I think if a loss to Georgia, I think he has to win ten games this year with a loss to Georgia. If he loses to Georgia and is winning the single digits, I think it might be over because that is such a crucial game to the – blow of the of the psyche and the emotions of Florida fans, alumni and boosters. I mean, that game is circled on the calendar every year. That you know so I think that's important. Yeah. But Vander Vanderbilt's gonna be, you know, Vandy this year. They lost a lot. They lost their head coach. But as far as the games you pointed out, I, I think they're very winnable for Florida. Well Joey, uh we wanna thank you for coming on the show tonight, giving us a lot of information about the Gators and uh tell us how we can follow you on Twitter. Uh my Twitter handle is at B R O D Y underscore I A K O W. That's Brody underscore I A K O W. That's in all kinds of weather, and that's my Twitter handle. And our website is in all kinds of weather dot com. Uh we are a Fox Sports affiliate. And we will have all your up-to-date uh, stories, statistics, um, press releases, everything. And we do have a surprise coming up on Friday. Uh, we are breaking news of a recruit commitment. I'm not going to say who, uh, but we are. And uh, stay tuned for Friday. We are going to be the first uh, site to break it. And uh, so just, just follow us and keep up-to-date this year. And uh, thanks for having me on, Brian. All right, thanks, Joey, and take care. Joey Vizzy, uh, breaking down the Florida Gators for us. Jonathan, I mean, this guy has a lot of information about the Gators, and if you're a Florida State fan, you, you have to be wondering right now how good the Gators are going to be. Not that good. <laughs> I mean, I'm not worried about the Gators. Let's, let's, I'm going to put that on as about as honest as I can. Um, obviously I know a lot about the Gators just from the standpoint of the fact they are our biggest rival and from the standpoint I have a lot of family who is tied to the Gators, which creates very interesting uh, dinners from time to time. But I'm uh, looking at it, that Alabama game and that Florida State game, if they can stay within 10, I want to be, I want to be extremely surprised. Uh, and you, you look at it, that, that schedule, it's daunting, but they're two tough games on the road, and then they got a bunch at home. So it is going to be interesting to see how this team can handle it. Now, is this going to be the same Florida team that last time you know, they played Bama got kicked in the mouth and just totally tanked? I mean, that's what I remember is Bama coming in, tank, you know, just thrashing Florida with Brantley at quarterback and them just saying, you know what, eh, maybe this season's not for us. So uh, I'm interested to see how that's going to happen. I don't have a lot of faith in the Gators this year to uh, be uh, SEC contenders. I, I think this smells of an 8-4 and four team. Now, is 8-4 and four keep Mustang's job? Like Joey said, they beat Georgia, it will. If they lose to Georgia, he gone. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Well, let's go through the schedule real quick, guys. Trey, I'm going to talk about Idaho, Eastern Michigan, or Kentucky. Those three are all in the swamp. No. Those are, those are tune-up games for Bama in Tuscaloosa, August 20th, Trey or September 20th, who do you have and why? Any chance they go into T-Town and pull off an upset that could really throw a, put a wrench in this college football season? I think they're going to play close uh, because of their defense. And their defense is going to be just very, very good, especially this early if they're healthy. 
you know, I, I think Roper will be figuring out the offense by this time. He'll have three games in. Um, but I just think Alabama's going to be too good. I look for Coker to have a big fourth quarter. And I think Bama will win by about, about 10 to 14. Uh, but Florida's going to be respectable in this game, and I think we're going to see a different kind of attitude in this game for Florida. But Bama will still roll up. Well, I think this is uh, going to be Coker for Alabama's first true test. Uh, you're playing against a defense that's very sophisticated, but, you know, so is Alabama. So some of the practice he gets could be helpful. You're talking about a Florida defense that's returning, I think, about seven. And, and if the offense is playing – up to par, this defense is going to be tough early in the season. I think, guys, this could be a game right here that could put a wrench in it, guys. I'm, I'm not ready just yet to pull that trigger and, and say this is an upset because it's in Tuscaloosa. I do look at the offensive line of Florida, and I'm not sold just yet. I think they have too many missing pieces. They lost a lot. Running backs, receivers, they have four new offensive linemen that weren't starters. So I'm going to pick Alabama in this game, and that's going to take us October 4th at Tennessee. The good news is for Florida, Trey, is they have a bye week after Alabama to kind of heal up, learn what they the mistakes they made. Now they go into Neyland Stadium, a team that's recruited very well the last couple of years. This could be interesting. Yeah, it, it absolutely could be. This is going to be a tight game, too. I look at Tennessee – but still being a year away, they got so much in recruiting this year, but these guys are so young. Uh, we'll see how many of them play. Tennessee are replacing too many guys, I think, Tarvin. I think Florida has success here. This is going to be a super, super close game, though. Florida by just a little. Jonathan, real quick. You know, um, after after I think they lose to Bama, uh, I think this game could catch them. Uh, it's going to be a great game. It's going to be a close game. I'll take Florida by three. I'm going to take Tennessee in this game, um, October 4th, on the road. And I know a bye week's there, but I still think Tennessee's up and coming. They're going to beat somebody they're not supposed to. This could be one of them. I'm picking the balls. And that takes us to a very interesting game, October 11th, in the swamp. LSU comes in. By then, Trey, a lot of these young LSU players are not going to be as young. Will LSU have enough to go into the swamp and, and I think, pull an upset? Yeah, I I think LSU does win here. Uh, I think overall they're just a little bit farther progressed than Florida will be, um, not only in their schemes and their players' development. Uh, I think LSU is one of those teams that, that is confident enough to go on the road where we don't know how confident and what kind of psyche Florida will have, especially if they've lost Alabama and played a close game against Tennessee. I think LSU comes into Ben Hill Griffin Stadium and gets a victory here. I'm going to say not so fast. I'm going to pick Florida in this game. Surprise, surprise. They've lost two in a row. They're going to come out. They're going to win at home. They're going to beat LSU, Jonathan. I think the Swamp's a very tough place to play. After two weeks away, they're going to come in and get a win. Well, I think uh, I think you have a good point that a Swamp is a tough place to play. But I think LSU can match up man-to-man with Florida and pound it down their throats. I'm going to take LSU to win this. It's going to be a low-scoring, ugly-looking football game, though. All right. I'm, I love I'm, I'm the only one here. And the next week. Home game against Missouri could be tricky, but I think Missouri lost a lot. They lost a lot, guys. I think Florida, Trey, takes care of Missouri in the swamp. 
Yeah, I, I think so too. Matty Mock, I think, will, will be good this year. Uh, but, you know, with DGB going out, I, I, I wonder what playmakers Missouri is going to have this year for him. Um, I know they say they got receivers. We'll see. Uh, Florida wins this game. I think Florida's just in a better place than Missouri is. So I have Florida with two losses going into November. Jonathan? Yeah, I'm going to take Florida on this one. I think their defense is going to make a big difference uh, in this game. Yep, I like Florida as well. Now it gets fun. November comes. Muschamp's hanging on for his life. He's lost two, in my opinion, at this point. Could be three very easily. Uh, the biggest cocktail party trade, Georgia. This is the game that's going to make or break Muschamp's season. If he's going to have a job, it's going to be after this game. If he's going to lose it, it's going to be after. I have Florida beating Georgia in Jacksonville to salvage Muschamp's job for another week, Trey. Georgia will not have enough on defense to be able to hang. I, I, I like Florida. You know, I, I'm just worried about Georgia, Tarvin. I mean, in a lot of ways, I mean, it, for some reason this team gets hit so hard uh, by off-season misconduct. And it's not as if the players aren't being, you know, <laughs> wouldn't other teams wouldn't want them going into recruiting. But I don't know what happens to these guys at Georgia. You know, I think what uh, the defensive lineman Taylor, you know, kicked off the team this week, dismissed. Um, they've had a lot of problems with, with a little bit of injuries already and guys who are in trouble. I just don't know how Georgia's going to put it together again. Last year I thought they'd lose three or four games. This year I'm kind of thinking the same thing. I think the East is going to be so wide open. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to go with Florida as well. I, I just don't know what to make of Georgia right now. There's too many people on that bandwagon. I'm going to take Florida. Ooh, Jonathan. Not so fast. Bulldogs take it down. Bulldogs take it. You're, you're um, a hater. It's gonna be a classic. You're just a it's hater. It's gonna be a hater. It's gonna be a classic. Um but I'm gonna take Todd Gurley uh all day right now. I think Georgia is gonna uh, knock out the Gators. We're gonna see another twenty three twenty game. It's gonna be a great game, but Bulldogs prevail. Uh, he's a hater. Paul Ewing, he, he probably says you're a hater too, but I, I'm a Georgia hater. I have to admit that I'm a Georgia hater. So I'm going to pick Florida in this game. November 8th at Bandy, no more Franklin. Um, all no. of him and his, his his criminals went to Penn State with him to join forces. So I think we're not even going to talk about this one. The big game, uh-huh. November 15th. This game could decide the East, guys. Depending, like Trey said, it's wide open. The winner of this game could easily be in Atlanta. South Carolina comes to the Swamp on November 15th. And I'm going to switch it up and go to Jonathan on this one. Give me your prediction on uh, this one. Honestly, I'm going to take South Carolina to win this game as well. Um, I think Spurrier's going to come in. He's going to have something special for us, champ. I think Dylan Thompson, we're going to see him progress as the season comes along. And Mike Davis is one heck of a running back. I'm going to take South Carolina, low-scoring game, 17-16. Trey, I'm taking Florida in this game. Call me crazy. Call me on the Muschamp bandwagon, whatever. I I am taking Florida in this game. I think by this time of the season, if they stay healthy, playing Alabama early in the season, playing the LSUs of the world, you know, they're going to be ready for this one. This is huge. They get this game, they could be in Atlanta, Trey. They will be in Atlanta. I like Florida. Wow. Uh, Are you taking Florida to be in Atlanta? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree. I, I think South Carolina is a better team all around. 
they have pieces of, of people they lost last year to replace already who've been playing a lot. Their quarterback is, um, I think, a little further along. Driscoll's going to be much improved this year. Uh, but even though they're at home, and I would like this game a lot more for Carolina if this wasn't in Ben Hill, uh, but I'm, I'm going to take South Carolina. I have more faith in them right now than I do in Florida, and I just have a tough time taking Florida with, with two losses in the SEC this year. So I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go South Carolina um, <laughs> by about a touchdown. Hater, y'all are both haters on here, man. I'm trying to <laughs> add add some flavor to this show and get Georgia out of Atlanta and South. Thurier's running his mouth so much, you know he's not going to be in Atlanta. So I'm going to skip Eastern Kentucky. Let's move on to you guys are big Florida State homers. So here we are, November 29th at Tallahassee. The question in this game, will Winston still be playing or will he still some more crab legs, Trey? Well, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, he, he may be off with his buddy Nick Marshall smoking weed. You know, just never know. Um, <laughs> They, you know, both, both, both getting citations for their offenses, by the way. Um, you know, here's the thing, Tarvin. This is in Doak Campbell. Florida State is deep everywhere still, um, absent a lot of injuries. I just think Florida State's way too uh, talented at this point. Uh, and, and, guess, and guess what, Tarvin? I mean, this team has played together. Winston's still the leader. Um, they have a lot of guys uh, that they need to progress at receiver and running back. The defense is pretty darn good, too. I think Florida State wins. I think it's going to be much closer than it was last year, though. All right, Jonathan, any chance of an upset here? Uh, No. Uh, The question here is, does Driscoll come out of this game alive? It's a very important question now. Because you look at Florida State's defense, that's a mean-looking defense still. And I have a feeling Mario Edwards Jr. is going to have his number tattooed on Driscoll's head. Right on his forehead. This is going to be an ugly game. It's going to be a blowout and a half. It's going to be beautiful to me and Trey. Um, what I'm, I'm saying, it was 37-7 to last year. Let's give them another three points, and let's say it's going to be 42-10. to Florida State routes the Gators, drops them to 7-5 and on the season. Well, I think at this time of the season, I mean, Florida is going to be an eight, maybe a nine-win team here. Uh, possibly in Atlanta. This game is just too much to ask a team to go to Tallahassee at the end of the season. It, it, I mean, it's a rival game, but if this game was in the swamp, it would be a lot more interesting. I think it will be close for the first half. Uh, I just think Florida State will be a little too much for them. And remember, Florida State's schedule this year is pretty easy, guys. I mean, let's admit, they're going to be rested healthy. They're going to have a little more pep in their step this time of year than Florida will. So that's going to end the season for Florida. They're going to be eight and four, nine and three team right there. And and Trey, is that going to be enough to keep Muschamp in Florida for another season? Yeah, I think if they beat Georgia and they're eight and four, I think people are going to see progression, especially if you see the offense better. Um, so I, I'm not leaving Muschamp. I think I think Muschamp is still good for Florida, uh, which makes me dislike it. But I think that uh, Muschamp and Roper. I really are going to have something special building if Roper doesn't take a head coaching job. But uh, I really do think that Muschamp keeps his job. Well, guys, Paul, Paul's wanting to know if y'all think Winston will have shellfish poisoning by then. Ha. Uh, <laughs> uh, hey, uh, no, hey, I mean, what he needs to be worried about is that O-line. I'll tell you what. He worried about that O-line. It's just going to break his leg again. That O-line don't look good. <laughs> Hey, is, right, is Aaron Hernandez written Paul any letters, Tarvin? 
No, Paul's written in many letters, but he just hasn't gotten a response yet. Uh, I, I, I knew Paul had written Aaron Hernandez letters. I didn't know if Aaron Hernandez had you know written him back. So keep, keep <laughs> it up. Keep your head up, Paul. All right. Well, that's the end of Florida right now. We're going to take home. We're not going to do Baylor tonight. You know, I was thinking about doing Baylor, and then you know, I don't, I don't want to fall asleep tonight, so I'm going to save it, save that Baylor team for another night. And I, I, Sonya's with us tonight. I believe Jason is. I want to ask a couple of questions about some current events that's been happening before we go, Trey. So bear with us here. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey. What's up, Tyron? What's up, Trey? Queen hey. Hammer and Gopher on deck. Hey, Trey. Hey, Jonathan. What's, hey, everybody. What's All right. Well, hey, guys. I have to start off asking you this. We We talked about this earlier. I have a couple of questions regarding the Crimson Tide for you. The first one, I don't know if you've heard Bob Stoops' comments you know, uh, talking about saving, talking about the SEC still. Tell us your thoughts of uh, Bob Stoops on it real quick. What were the comments? I've seen it posted, but I honestly just didn't, haven't cared enough to see what he said. What did uh, he say? I remember he was talking about the SEC, that it's not as it's propaganda really, it's not as good as the media's hyped them up to be and how they proved it, beating them in the Sugar Bowl and and all this, and it's just like he's got more ammunition now after that Sugar Bowl. Just wanted your thoughts on on his comments over the past few years, actually. Well, I'll I'll tell you this. He definitely has a right to brag, you know, and and to be a little little, uh, pompous (laughs) after uh, that last game, after that Sugar Bowl. So I'm I'm not going to – going to hit him for that because if if i had beat the the defending national champ and (laughs) you know i'd be talking a little smack too but um i recall another coach from that same conference right babe who was uh talking a lot of smack about the sec and actually had uh tried to set up a series with bama and that was declined uh (laughs) Uh, probably due to some of his asinine comments. But it's funny because that same coach is now in the SEC and in his first year went 0-8, I believe it was. Didn't win a conference game. Yeah, didn't win any conference game. So when I hear coaches or fans or anybody get on that conference, my conference is better and the SEC is not as good or whatever, whatever, I always point them to the episode of Numbers Don't Lie and sit back. And I'm not even going to use the term hater or, or, or jealousy or whatever, whatever. The bottom line is, um, who is it? Who's it? William Hanno in our, in our group, in our Facebook group. Big, big LSU fan, and he's a big, big, um, what's the rest of baby? Rick Flair. Rick Flair. The one that says, woo, and the beat a man. <laughs> you got to beat the man. I, I think that that applies here. So he has a little bit of that syndrome going on. But until you can – do what the SEC as a conference has done, then you really need to sit down and shut up. But on the flip side of that, for the SEC homers and those bottom feeder fans from those lower tier teams who love to ride the SEC bandwagon, you know, all of a sudden they become a Bama, uh, Gator, you know, whoever fan, whatever, whoever's winning, they're, they're, they're that fan. But one, thing that, one thing you guys need to realize is the SEC didn't do this. Okay, the SEC didn't make those stats. Alabama, Tennessee, LSU, Florida. That's who made those stats. 
So let's get, you know, I, I kind of get upset when I hear this whole SEC, SEC. No. Those teams accomplished that, not the entire SEC. So I see both sides. And, and Auburn. Line is, and Auburn. And Auburn, and Auburn yes. Yeah. I'm sorry, and that was not intentional. I knew there was another one, so please please excuse me, <laughs> Auburn fans. That was not intentional. But, you know, when you look at those five schools, that's who, when you think of SEC, that's what people think of. They don't think of Kentucky, Vanderbilt, Mississippi, Mississippi State. You know, nobody thinks of those schools. And I really hate this this huge view of, like, the SEC is comprised of just, you know, it's like, no, those teams did that, so let's get off that. But the SEC has done what they've done due to those teams. And Bob Stoops can say whatever he wants to, but until you have a better record, sit down and shut up. Yeah, a lot of conferences, if you look at them, I mean, if you look at the Big 12, you look at their bottom few teams, I mean, they're not beating the, the breaks off the, the, the top-tier teams. The thing about the SEC, though, is we need the lower-tier teams sometimes to be, you know, average, and it, it really helps. I think that's the difference between – the SEC and other conferences, the lower-tier teams are better than the lower-tier teams than the other ones. And the point I made was in bowl games, you look at the Outback Capital One sometimes, you'll see a, a four, five, six-seed SEC team playing a number two seed out of another conference and beating them. That's where I look at depth and, and see the better teams. But, yeah, the Mississippi State fans out there, Ole Miss, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and all them, running their mouth. They have nothing to, to really talk about right now. But like you said, Tennessee, Bama, Auburn, Florida, LSU, those teams are one that's won a championship in the BCS. So they can they can talk a little bit. But on to Zach Mettenberger, Sonia, uh, mm-hmm. getting punched in a bar yesterday. Give me your thoughts. Do you think that was funny or, or did that disturb you a little bit? It, 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 it disturbs me. It, it was not funny in any way whatsoever. I think that is – just the, I don't, yeah, it's it's totally classless, and this is what people need to understand. There are Alabama fans, okay? There are Bama fans, and there are Bamtards, okay? Bamtards <laughs> are our bottom feeders, like the, the Harvey Schmuck Dykes and the, the teabagging guy at the LSU game who uh, teabagged the LSU fan. Those people are not fans. Those people are moronic idiots, who purposely do things that make themselves look stupid. And my question to the guy who punched that Mettenberger and then ran, that's the thing that gets me. If you're going to punch somebody, dude, stand there. And, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Take your medicine. <laughs> Be a man. If you got the, if you got the, the balls to punch them, then the other balls to stand there and, and take what's, gonna, you know, what's coming. But when I see this stuff, I just want to just, Oh, my God. The two fan bases I hate worse than any other are our bottom feeders and Auburn's bottom feeders. Everybody else comes second. It just makes me sick. But to the guy that hung the flag at at, uh, Texas A&M, my question to him is exactly how does that help the tide roll? Explain that to me. Explain how any of this behavior actually helps the team and helps support the team and helps the team, you know, be who they are. It doesn't. It's a waste of time. They're idiots. We don't want anything to do with them, and please don't call them Bama fans. Just call them idiots. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I, – I thought it was disturbing as well. But I think 
I think what happens when you when things like this happen, a lot of people look at it in a fan base of a team and then judge them all by by those certain people. Every Alabama. Well, you got to look at it. Our, punch they haven't been the um, helping us. You know, it's like they're giving them stuff to talk about. So I can't say anything when people talk about it. Yeah, Sonny's, Sonny's in the chat room giving me hell about Auburn. He said he's for uh, anybody that plays Auburn. Or us. Yeah, I just thought or, he's a yeah, Michigan Oh, he's oh oh yeah, he's a Michigan fan. Oh yeah. no, yeah. I'm I know that forty-two forty-two man. <laughs> I'd be upset too. He's a meat chicken. He's a meat chicken. We still love you, Tally. Sunny is a meat chicken. Well, guys, we're close <laughs> to college football. Sonia, Jason, are y'all are y'all ready? Are y'all ready for the? What are we, 30-something days away? And, and I don't know if you've heard this, Sonia, but some bad news on the front of Auburn here. Alex Kozas, uh, starter on the offensive line, out for the season, hurt his back. It's been giving him problems. That's a that's a big void to fill. Give me your thoughts on that. That's not a good time to start losing players. Well, I miss Jason. You want to? No, that's, no, that's bad. You want to take a shot? He, um, I, I, well, you know how my back issues are, so I feel for the kid first of all. But that's that's a hard one to take. Um, and then with uh, Woody also being yep. out, he's out for the year too. He's going to be out because his mom but, said. But it's time for players. Uh, it's time for players to step up, though. And if you recruiting, yeah. you've recruited right, and you're developing. If you're developing players the right way. You you could struggle a little bit, but they'll adjust. They'll the coaches do their job. They develop the players. Auburn should be fine, but you got to get healthy. You, you have to be healthy to win championships and to compete. I mean, if you're you're injured all over the place, it's just the bottom line is you're not going to be that successful in the SEC West. That's right, and you got to give those kids um, playing time. That's the biggest thing, and I'm so glad you said that because so many people think, you know, they look at their their depth chart and they're like, okay, we've got depth here, but that guy hasn't seen one minute. Of playing time, you know, all he's doing is is taking reps on the field during practice. So you know, I love the fact that in the SEC, well, in most of college football, they do give these kids a chance and they do get them out there. You know, if you've got a good league, get them out there. You never know who's going to be your next star. I mean, just look at some of the people that we are talking about now that just you know popped out of nowhere. You know, you got Kevin Norwood when he first popped up. It's like, whoa, who? <laughs> You know, and now we're looking for them. So I just say, hey, give them all a chance. But I'm really hoping that um, that Auburn sustains because it's it's going to be time for some revenge. I don't wish Ill- injury on any player or any team. So me neither. And guys, Georgia in the news again. I mean, you talk about a bad off season for a team. The Georgia Bulldogs. I don't know if you heard about this latest arrest. They had a defensive player kicked off the team. This is his second yep. arrest. This year, strangling a woman, Sonia. What's yeah. going on with Georgia? Mark rigged. I mean, something's going on there. I mean, there has to be. You want to go for a phrase? Nothing's changed, Darvin. Nothing's changed. We, 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 every year, every year we have this. Nothing's changed. Yeah. With Georgia, it's it's been something going on for a long time, but I, what I really think the problem is, we've talked about Mark Rick before. And I love him. I think he is one of he's one of the most respected coaches in college football, not just the SEC. Very, very nice man. I mean, he is. I love him to death. He's so so. I've had the pleasure of interviewing him twice. Love him. But 
he doesn't have every coach that's a, a Saban or um, a Spurrier or a Meyer type level. When you've got coaches like that who go to the big game, Les Miles, all of those guys, what they have in them, there is a streak of ruthlessness that they have. Unfortunately, Mark Rick does not have that, and that's what dog fans, as much as you love your coach, he's just too nice. Now, if you were to get him an assistant who had that and balanced it out, you could see some moves being made. But on the flip side of that, Mark Rick is very concerned about developing these players, and he kind of went towards that way because of the problems that started, I want to say like five or six years ago, wasn't it when um, Georgia really, it's like every time you turned around there was a Georgia player being arrested. And I think his focus went towards, you know, really dealing with these guys and their issues away from coaching so much. And then it also looks to recruiting because when you've got a guy at the camp who, you know, stole, he's a recruit, he's coming to visit, and he commits a robbery, goes home, and you have to deal with that, it starts, you know, you just have to look at it and you're just like, okay, yeah, it happens everywhere, but it's happening too often down there. You know, what's, what's going on with your recruiters? What are your recruiters looking for? Because it's not character. Something's going on. So you're right. I, I think there's a, there's, there's, something needs to change, and they need to be looking in a different area than where they are for, uh, for future Bulldogs. Well, it goes to show the high school coach was on, Ray Green, this past Sunday night. He's he was talking about these big-time coaches that come to his school, you know, when he was there in Florida. And the number one, number two, there's two questions they asked, the two main questions. What are his grades like and what is his character? What's his work? Mm-hmm. You know, things like that. And I wonder if, if Georgia is just dropping the ball on that question. I believe we have Marty with us right now from Alabama. Marty, welcome to the show. Hey, Great show. Glad to hear college football. Thank God I smell college football in the air. <laughs> this, you know, it's got, it's been so long since the national championship game t- till now. You know, it, it's just it's great to start talking college football again seriously. You know, here we are at the last week, basically the last week before fall camp starts. This is the weekend coming up, guys. And I, I like y'all's opinion. This is where the arrest, this is where these athletes or these college students or whatever you want to call them are going to be going out there. They're going to be partying this weekend because they know it's the last weekend before fall camp starts. I mean, this is where the arrest, this is where the trouble starts for every team, not just for Georgia, not for Auburn, not for Alabama. Not for Texas A&M, for all teams. I bet this is the worst weekend coming up for SEC coaches or, in general, college football coaches across the country. I bet they're drawn up in a knot tonight. That's a good point. And, and you know, you see Texas A&M, what's going on there, Auburn, Georgia, Bama, everybody's been in the news. And, Sonia, Marty's right on. This is if you're a fan out there and you're hoping to keep your team together, you better keep your fingers crossed this weekend. Amen, Marty. You are not lying, dude. It is the worst, and it's it's always this time when all of the um, I call them Nostradamuses instead of Nostradamus. You know, all of our <laughs> wonderful <laughs> knows who's going to win the Heisman and who's going to be in a playoff. You know, all of those guys. This is kind of when they get their wake up notice because that that player that you've been just 
dying to see out there, ooh, he got arrested. Oh, he got hurt, you know, because he was partying on this weekend or something. So it's it's one of those things where you just have to pray that <laughs> they just are careful, you know, stay at home, don't go out, don't just don't go looking for trouble. Didn't Georgia suspend like half their defense for the first two games of last year? I think so. That's every year at Georgia, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't even get to see their full defense till like the third game. That's true too. Yeah, that's, you that's do why. That's why Spurrier. That's why Spurrier's trying to schedule them early in the season. Ah. Uh, yeah, he is a little bastard. That's true. <laughs> that is true. Yep. Pretty not stupid. That's what. Count on it. Well, Marty, you need, like call Saban and you, need, you, need, you need to call Saban and ask him if he'll just, you know, have a lock-in this weekend in the gym somewhere or something, let these guys stay, and then, you know, Monday morning you let them out. Well, I'm, I sure think... they're work... I'm sure they're working overtime to keep up with these players the best they can. But, you know, with all the NCAA rules, you know, they can't they can't do anything. It's just kind of like where, where the country's heading in, in general, you know. You know, it's just it's it's just not good for what they're doing right now, uh, and and not letting them stay in dorms and you know and stuff like that, and where they can have more control of them. I think that's where it really started going downhill. Is when they you know couldn't let them stay on campus there where they can keep control of them. But you know that's that's what it is. It is what it is. Well, I can tell you the one thing that that it shows me. When I see a, a team get past this weekend, is that's a team with some discipline there. Because when you when the coaches can't do it and the other staff can't do it, the team has to they they have to police themselves. Like uh, Alabama, you know, the, the players will have players only meetings, and they'll get in. You know, they'll get on on other players' butts about whatever whatever the topic is. So when I see that, I like it because it shows leadership. When I see a lot of arrests, and I really don't see anybody stepping up, and that was the issue with Georgia. You knew, and I call this, God, what was it? I think, Tarvin, when we first met, when we first started talking on the show or coming on the show, and we were kind of talking about Georgia, and I believe it was you, you, Jason, and I that kind of said, I don't think Georgia has leadership, and I can tell by the off-field activities. Look at all of these players, and nobody's really stepping up. And then it was proven later on that season with the, the annual Florida-Georgia game. I mean, seriously, when you watch that game, all you're doing is you're counting the number of penalties and fouls. That's all you're doing during that game because that's the dirtiest game in the SEC. But it's, that's why I love it. It's great. But you also see a lack of discipline. You also see a lack of discipline. So when you see players getting in trouble, something's wrong. There's no leadership on that team. Well, Marty, give us some updates on the Tide real quick before you go. Well, well, I'd definitely like to comment on the Bob Stoops comment. And, you know, I'm going to, you're going to be shocked at the response I'm going to have because you know what Obama fan I am. You know, I, I, I'm tired of the excuses. I'm tired of the excuses of the Auburn game. I'm tired of the excuses of the Oklahoma game. You know, Alabama got beat in the Oklahoma game. And, and yep. Saban goes Saban goes on the car wash or whatever shows he's went on and commented. And, and believe me, I have all due respect for Saban. But he talked about complacency of the of the team. There was complacency on that team. It wasn't on the players. It was on the coaching staff of that team. You know, there was complacency on the offensive coaching staff on that team for the Auburn game and the Oklahoma game. 
I mean, as a fan and never played a down of college football in my life, I sat there and watched both of those games, especially the Oklahoma game. I'll give Auburn credit. They played a hell of a game in that, in that game against Alabama. You know, and, and, and it could have went either way. I, I'm not taking anything away from Auburn. But the Oklahoma game, that coaching staff let that team down. They could not stop Henry from running the football. I was screaming at the TV, run Henry. He's getting 10 to 12 yards a carry. Run Henry. They couldn't stop him. But yet, Nussmeyer, with this West Coast offense that he's brought into the SEC, he thought, and pass happy, wanting to do all this passing stuff with all this stuff, and sudden looking at the weakness of a team and actually using it against them and beating that team, I give it all on the coaching staff's fault for what Alabama went through. And, and, and I'm tired of the excuses, and that's just what it is. Here we go. That's, that's some good points there, Sonia. Very good. I, you, I ain't said nothing. <laughs> It's he said up, it all. <laughs> it, it's put up or shut up year. Yep. That's what it is. It's put up or and, shut and up. That's, and that's, that's exactly why Nussmeyer is not at Alabama this year is because, Amen. I mean, Saban don't lose intensity. I'm, he does not. It's just in his DNA. He's, he's going to go 100% all the time. But when he has coaches that's under him that he don't think that is doing the job and, and, and is letting him down, you know, he's going to make a change. And, and, and we're we're lucky to have Saban. Don't get me wrong. We're lucky to have Coach Saban as a coach at Alabama. But he's got to be careful what he brings in. And I pray that Kiffin will take care of the job and, and, and don't let him down. All right. Well, Marty, thanks for your comments, buddy. Thanks for calling in. And like you said, football's right around the corner. So keep calling in and, and talking some football with us. Uh, we'll do it. Y'all, y'all have a good one. Bye. All right, you too. Bye-bye. You too, Marty. Cuervo is on the line. He was on hold. I didn't see him on there. Cuervo. Hey, guys. I'm driving home. How are you tonight? Hey, Cuervo. Oh. Hey, Tanya. Hey, hey, Cuervo. I'm getting, up harassed. In- I'm getting harassed by the couch potato in the chat room, man. <laughs> what? What? Wait, Sonny's on tonight. He's he's in the chat room. Yeah, he's yep. been in here harassing harassing everybody all night. He's just killing Auburn. He's hating on Alabama. He, he's go Wolverines, man. That's all he's up. Yeah, at. he's just, exactly. He's a disgruntled Michigan fan because they haven't been relevant in ten years. I mean, what are you gonna do? Just say forty-two fourteen and smile. <laughs> <laughs> Every time, I'm telling you. Every meat chicken fan. It, it was proven on the show. What's his name? That 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 weirdo? Rick, Rick or Rick or whatever. They say forty two fourteen and they just shut up. It works on Notre Dame fans too. Yeah, but it was really like forty two to nothing and then they said, Well, we'll let you score. Don't worry. We'll <laughs> let you score a couple. <laughs> well well Sonya, I need to ask you one thing and, and Cuervo, you can comment, Jason, but one thing, you know, when I hear Saban talk in the media a lot, one thing that I haven't heard him yet, and that, it bothers me a little bit. He's blamed the players. He's blamed complacency, but not one time. And tell me if I'm wrong, Sonia, I could be. He's never blamed himself as a head coach. And as a leader, I think you need to take 
take ownership sometime and, and be accountable that if your players are complacent, it's because the coaches didn't do their job. Yeah, you're wrong. He did. <laughs> okay. I haven't, I haven't heard it then. He, he, he talked about himself as a motivator. And, um, you know, he one thing that I do love about Coach Saban is he doesn't like – he calls it as it is. You know what I mean? But he's the first person to say it all falls on me because I lead this team. I am the head coach. So okay. he steps up in the same way that you don't see him, um, like if we if we have a great win, if family has a great win, you don't see him smack talking. You know, he's already mentally on to the next game. It's the same way. You know, he's like, these are the, these are the issues, these are the problems. And he's able to look in the mirror and say, you're part of that problem. So he's not a pointer, you know, always pointing out to somebody else. He'll point to himself first. So he has he has stepped up and taken some responsibility for that. Well, Cuervo, let me ask you this. And and you're in the military. You see these kids every day. When I looked at Alabama last year, I saw a team that had senior leadership, some upperclassmen there. You have these younger kids that think they're entitled. And sometimes it's a clash. So, sometimes these younger kids don't want to pay attention to these older guys like AJ that's paid their dues went through everything, all the workouts, they come in entitled thinking they should play. Tell me what you think about that, and you're in the military, you should be able to answer this. I can answer I can answer this better than just about anybody out there, and I'm not saying I'm better, but, you know, I, in order to be able to, this, and this is what I've always believed, you know, and may, people may agree, people may disagree, but when it comes to leadership, and when I talk to young men and women about leadership, the first thing I always tell them is, in order to be able to lead, you gotta be, you gotta know how to follow first, because everybody starts somewhere. You know, I I love when people say, "Oh, he's a natural born leader." I just want to smack him upside their head as hard as I can, because in my opinion, there is no such thing as a natural-born leader. You may have the, um, the characteristics of what a leader is. That doesn't mean you know how to lead. So in my opinion, like I said, in order to be able to, to truly lead, you have to know how to follow first. And for these young freshmen that were five-star recruits and things like that, and that's what, that's what Alabama's dealing with, they're dealing with five-star recruits, four-star recruits that are coming in. And, you know, because they were treated like royalty in high school, everything is going to happen that way in college. And what they don't realize is you're on a whole other level now. The game is different. The pace is different. And they have to understand that you, you're, you're starting from the bottom again. You're not, you're not at the top of the list anymore. And I think, I think, uh, you know, humbleness plays a big part in that. You have to, they have to understand that you still have to earn your spot. You know, it's not just going to be given to you just because you're a top prospect in college. And I think Coach Saban, I think, and we don't see it, but in my opinion, I mean, there's got to be some sort of, you know, message somewhere along the line because these guys eventually – they get it, like, okay, I need to earn my way up there. If not, hey, you better get on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sonia, you looked at – I looked at A.J. McCarron and, you know, those last two games, looked like a guy that 
you think about what would have happened if if he had won that championship last year and and what legacy he he already left a big legacy but what legacy he would have left winning three in a row like that with a team i think you could just see the frustration and aj is, is he's tired of the divas around that program i i don't really think it was so much just the diva cuz you're going to find that everywhere i mean come on think about okay put yourself in south carolina's locker room and you're the assistant coach, and you have to go tell Steve Spurrier, well, Clowney just it doesn't feel like playing today. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a good diva. example right there. <laughs> to me, that's, that's diva. That's a diva. But when you've got or guys. Or entitled. That's, I should say entitled then. There you go. They have this entitled, you know, and it's still sort of diva-ish. But um, when you've got a, a, a recruiter like Nick Saban and a lot of the good recruiters out there, they make it known up front, and I know this firsthand, you know, because, again, Carl Lawson uh, was recruited by Bama, and they let them know up front, and that was the key reason that Carl or Woody decided to go with Auburn because he was told, You're, you have to earn your spot, okay? We will help you. We will develop you, but you're not just going to we, – we want you, but you're just not going to come on and just be, okay, you're starting – because you're, you know, number two on the ESPN top 150 list or whatever. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. But he's very honest with them. It's not an old piss where, you know, you're five-star and you immediately start. Yeah. They have nobody. Right. So these guys know coming in, and they, and some look at it as, okay, it's better for them because they feel like they're fighting the, against the best of the best. You know what I mean? So that's how some look at it. But then you do have the other ones who are like, well, why should I have to? I did this and this and this. Yeah, that was back then. You know, it's just like, Janet, what have you done for me lately? What have you done for Bama? You hadn't done anything for us. You did that in high school. Okay, what are you going to do for us? Guess what? You've got to wait your chance. You've got to wait your spot. This guy was here before you. So, you know, it's, it's like AJ and the guys, all of them say, when you're out there, you're competing in practice. You're competing to, to show what you can bring, you know, to get your chance, to get your spot. But at the same time, guess what? You might not ever get it. And that doesn't matter where you go. Well, great show tonight. Cuervo, sorry you joined us a little late. Wish we could have got you on earlier. Uh, It's been a great show, by the way. The closer we get to football season, the longer these shows are going to go. But ESPN showing the top 25 games of 2013. Anybody interested in watching those right now? I think number 20 zone LSU in Georgia last year. That was a phenomenal, phenomenal football game. If anybody's got the college football withdrawal right now, you want to go watch a football game, it's on ESPNU. We'll be live Sunday night. Tonight is Wednesday, Sunday night at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, and we'll continue our college football preview. But, guys, great show. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you Sunday. Thanks, Tarvin. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.